Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. <laughs> This is the podcast that helps you grow wealth and become financially independent. My name is Veko, and my partner, Hari, Doctor Radhakrishnan. Yep. How are you, Doctor? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good. It's good to be in Houston. Yeah. Yeah, it's hot and humid. Muggy. <laughs> it's July. It is it's, July. I can't expect much else. <laughs> All right, in this episode we're going to be talking about Alice in Transmission. Yeah. Um actually before we do, let's do a quick disclaimer. Yeah. So, um this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps educate you and entertain you about the principles of value investing. We are not a financial advisor. We don't know your specific financial situation so please consult one financial advisor or tax advisor before making any uh decisions awesome great so allison transmission is the company of the day tell us why are we talking about this company first off yeah so the last couple episodes we actually talked about share cannibals mm-hmm. and share cannibals are a uh we had predict, predicted or produced a list of companies mm. that um, cannibalize their stock price and uh, or cannibalize their share count. And one of the things that uh, jumped out about them was on that list, they had a very high rate of earnings growth for the last five years. Per share earnings? Per share earnings mm-hmm. growth. And so we wanted to see why that was. Mm-hmm. right? And so I knew nothing about this company. I didn't, I, you know, I've heard of them, but not really paid attention to anything. I don't mm. know a whole lot about transmission. Mm. Um, and we're talking about car and, you know, vehicle transmissions. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to see if this was a potential, um, you know, undervalued gem, mm. you know, cause they were, they were heavy emphasis on their share buyback. Mm. Um, and so that's why we're, why we're here. Awesome. Okay. So as usual, as usual, uh, when we pick a company, we go through a checklist and this episode is not an exception. So we are going to be going over Allison Transmission with our checklist. And if you don't have the checklist with you, please do send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org, info at valueinvestor.org for a copy of this checklist or or a tweet to us. Uh, our, our Twitter handle is valueinvestor.tv. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go down the list, uh, shall we, Hari? Yeah. So the first question off the bat is, what does the company do? You should be able to answer this question in less than two sentences. Yep. So tell us what, what, what Allison Transmission, what do they do? What are they up to? So Allison Transmission is, has for the last 105 years uh, designed and manufactured commercial and defense uh, fully automatic uh, transmissions. Okay. So, they were part of uh, GM from 1929 when they were purchased by GM to 2007, and then they were a standalone business. Mm-hmm. Um, and about uh, 75 to 80 percent of their revenue comes from North America, so they have have a big presence in that uh, space. And they are the largest manufacturer of medium and heavy duty commercial vehicles and medium uh, commercial transmissions, medium and heavy tactical uh transmissions for u.s defense vehicles mm. so they're they operate in a space where they are not the final uh supplier uh, uh you know they don't sell their end product to the customer they sell it to companies who then put it into a vehicle such as ford or gm 
and they also sell to companies like um, uh, Daimler, um, which is make, makes Mercedes, as well as companies who makes uh, vehicles for the military. Uh, the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually kind of break down their, their business into on-highway and off-highway business. Mm-hmm. So on-highway is, you know, the vehicles that you would think about that, you know, trucks, uh, heavy-duty trucks, uh, commercial trucks, mm-hmm. and um, buses. Um, so mm-hmm. school buses are a big uh, driver of their... Um, and they actually do sp- also play in the electric vehicle mm. bus market. Um, in addition, they also have what's called off-highway. Um, so off-highway vehicles and equipment are things that you would use in like mining equipment, oil and gas, interesting, um, that kind of stuff. So they're, uh, you know, and and for those of you who don't know, because I'm not a car guy. Um, there are different types of transmission. There is manual transmission. Mm-hmm. There is automated manual transmission, mm-hmm. and then there is uh, fully automated, uh, automatic transmission. So, mm-hmm. those three types of th- which manual and um, uh, automated manual are, y- you know, use a clutch, um, a disconnected clutch system, mm-hmm. um, and what they say is while you are uh, shifting the clutch, and this is their opinion um there's a power loss in the gear shift so when you're uh gearing up and and they're they're saying that this doesn't apply to your car or light trucks you know that kind of stuff um there's power loss as as you do this and so when you have a vehicle that is doing long haul trucking you shift up and then you get into a steady state and that steady state you don't really shift gears Mm -hmm. so that's not what they're targeting they are targeting uh, vehicles that do a lot of stop and go type uh, start and stop activities. So mm. that could be, uh, they say that's where manual transmissions are less effective mm. and it reduces the performance because you have to frequently reconnect the clutch. So fully automatic, um, the uh, the intermediate step, which was not manual uh, transmission, but automated manual it it reengages the clutch for you, but it still loses the, you know, the connection. So you lose some of that power, according to them. Mm. So they say that they target these companies, these uh, vehicles that will be working in like urban environments where there's a lot of start and stop, um, because they they have that smooth gear shift. They don't have uh, the disconnected clutch. Um, and then there are these things called dual clutch transmissions, which are manual transmissions or automated manual transmission, which has a facilitated uh, gearbox shift. Um, so that's where you found in buses. Mm. Um, and so by having their uh, uh, fully automatic transmission, it, they believe it reduces fuel uh, consumption. Can I say something right there? Yeah. I think this is just a kind of high level of, just high level comment about value investing generally. You said you don't know much about transmission. I think one of the benefit of just at a high level, not specific to this company, just one of the benefit of becoming a good value investor is learning about new things. Yeah. Like, like this. Yeah. Uh, you didn't know about dual clutch transmission. Now you do. Maybe a little bit, but yeah, still. It and you'd be surprised where all of this knowledge will. I, I've learned so many things for companies that i thought i would never yeah. invest in and then i actually end up using it in my day-to-day life yeah. for some reason yeah, or for another sure. so yeah that's the great thing about value investing it's like basically uh you know like learning a, how the world works yeah yeah so, that's great okay uh so yeah they 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 actually talk about um 
interestingly, and I never really thought about this, most people think about fuel efficiency as it relates to miles per gallon. Mm. And their argument is that, but if I can load up more in my truck, Mm. then I have to make fewer, I have to drive less. And so if I can be more efficient by actually hauling more stuff, that's far better than actually being the, having the highest miles per gallon. Mm, that's interesting. So uh, one way of thinking about it. So, you know, that's kind of what they do um, and, uh, you yeah. know, what their, what their business is. Yeah, that sounds good. So a lot of heavy-duty sort of equipments, uh, transmissions, very specific and heavy in North America. They also do commercial and defense, sort of a high level of what they do. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next point, which is um, what is their competitive advantage? How are they different than other co- other competition in the space? Could you classify their competitive advantage into brand, network effects, switching costs, lower costs, and tangible assets? Yeah, so there's a couple things that I think are important here. So this is a highly um, technical space that they operate in. Um, they have patents, including patents that uh, GM gave to the company uh, with a... Uh, royalty-free perpetual um, license, yeah, uh, that uh, worldwide operating license. So there's some technology here. Um, when we look at that, that falls under intangible assets. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also software that they use, which are, they don't, um, some of which is covered under patents and some of which is covered under uh, their technical knowledge mm-hmm. um, and know-how. And, I think the other thing is they're the biggest player in the space, so there's their big brand moat. Uh, so I think um, you know they have fifty percent of their revenue comes from five customers. Mm. So you know when you're talking about this space, they don't you don't have a lot of options to deal with, right? There is mm. these guys, there's a few others, and they cite some other companies that they list, um, and we'll talk about that um, when I get there. But uh, you know they're the, I, I feel like there's some heavy switching costs for re- switching from their type of transmission to for something sure. else. Yeah. Um, so that that has some impact on, you know, sticking with them. For sure. Um, their brand is well known. So, you know, if you're building a new vehicle, you'd probably go with Allison transmission mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you need it for their uh, vehicle. Um, so I think those are the two biggest ones. I can't speak to the low cost uh, aspect of it. I don't know that they're the low cost provider. Um, they don't mention it in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't classify that. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this moat is that even though they have a moat, that doesn't mean that it protects their revenues. They're heavily dependent on the economy. Um, you know, it, when the economy is going well, people are going to be ordering trucks and when they're ordering trucks they need transmissions Mm -hmm. and when the economy is doing poorly that goes away and they have no way of buffering against that Mm -hmm. now that makes it basically makes them a cyclical business Mm -hmm. right um yeah so let's just recap on on point number two here bullet uh question number two their competitive advantage uh switching costs is obvious it's a pretty obvious one and then intangible assets sort of the the patents and the technology behind their the products yep uh, so moving on to the third bullet point, um, how durable is their competitive advantage? We you sort of touched on it yeah. a little bit, but if we could dig a little bit deeper into it, uh, durability of their competitive advantage and what are the risks associated with the competitive advantage that they have now? Yeah, so I think that's where this stuff kind of gets interesting, mm-hmm. right? In the future, is are, are we going to have gas-powered 
trucks, heavy dr- trucks and things like that. I don't think they're going to go away, right? So I, I think there's going to be some competition related to electric vehicles, and they do have some transmissions that work in that in that space. Um, and they mention, you know, that some of the companies that they uh, compete against are actually companies like Caterpillar who make their own transmission. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to break that into that space because Caterpillar does that all already. Um, so, you know, when they, they sign agreements with companies, they're three to five year contracts. Mm-hmm. And so that means that there's some buffer built into their, their advantage that mm-hmm. we would have some advance notice that they're going to move away from the contract or they're going to lose out uh, some business. Um, so I think there is, there is a strong moat. I think the problem is, is that because they operate in a cyclical business, it makes it a less powerful moat overall, just because, you know, it's going to have lots of ups and downs. Mm. And, you know, during 2008, um, you know, there was fairly, you know, they took a big hit and then, you know, things have picked up. But even in when times are good, it's not necessarily that they've had a, you know, a, a stellar, um, you know, uh, last five years right mm-hmm. they've had a lot of ups and downs yeah so, um so i think there's there's some things to be had said there and i and and as far as like the the moat goes also 80 percent of their revenues are coming from north america so it's hard to tell if they're going to be able to compete in europe and and the middle east and africa um you know and they have only about six percent of their business comes from the defense market so mm. i don't think that's going to so be quite aff- minimal yeah it's not going to be affected but service parts and support accounts for 25 percent of their revenue oh, so so they're also supporting their you know systems that have already been sold mm. so and about half of their business actually comes from the on highway north america market mm. so there's kind of helps you understand where their money comes from yeah. and you know uh, all that so I, I do think they have a competitive advantage mm. i just you know, with that kind of operating history, it's there is a potential for disruption as cars actually change to electric vehicles and mm-hmm. companies develop their own powertrains instead of using the transmission. So, yeah. So those are some of the risks yeah. to the current competitive advantage, you would say. Correct. Okay, let's move on to the next question, which is, what is com- companies' long-term prospects and runway for growth? You mentioned a little bit about kind of the long-term prospects for the car industry, transmission industry. Namely, that um, the industry is changing to electric. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about that? So I I am not sure how much, and this is where my knowledge of the industry is just not up to speed, right? I'll readily admit this is outside of my circle of competence. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, and part of learning, expanding your circle of competence is, is, is there something valuable in this business? And then let me go learn about the industry and mm. that stuff. And so I'll, you know, when I get to my conclusion, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I haven't done more research into this industry, uh, partly because I, you know, we'll, we'll look on Allison and see that cyclical businesses are not my, my forte that I don't, I'm, I, I'd find better places to put my money mm-hmm. than here. But, you know, that being said, I, I think there is, there is a long-term prospect for growth here, but it's just going to mm. be bumpy. You know, because of cyclical nature, cyclical nature of the mm-hmm. of the industry. Then, just to highlight on that point, cyclical nature in that 
you know, it'll, <clears throat> it's a cyclical in that it syncs with the economy up and down, going yeah. up and down. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next question, which is, does the company require a lot of capital in reinvestment to maintain its business? Can it grow without any further investments? So that's, that's a really interesting question mm-hmm. um, because I was expecting a business like this to be a heavy but asset play and things sure. like that. Yeah. And they're really not. Um, you know, their property plan and equipment is pretty small relative to their overall balance sheet. Mm. They actually have quite a bit of goodwill on their uh, on their uh, balance sheet. Mm. And that's from purchases that they've made over the last few years. Mm. You know, their total asset base, I think, was four billion dollars. And, uh, you know, the but the net property plant and equipment was only like four hundred million. Oh, wow. So um, when you look at it. Almost all of their assets are actually intellectual property, mm. right? And that's not on the balance sheet, right? Mm. They're they're more like a software company than uh, than I expected, right? So that's really interesting. Um, you know, this is why we learn about companies, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we expect they have a big manufacturing plant, they have a big, you know, heavy, you know, they're building these giant transmissions, mm-hmm. right? But they're still pretty asset light relative to all of the things that we're talking about mm. here. Can you reiterate some of the numbers there again? <coughs> 400 million. So, um, they have 400 million in, um, net property plant and equipment. Mm. Their working capital is a lot larger. Mm. Um, I want to say it's like 500 million also. Mm. Um, but this company almost generates on their tangible capital returns about 75%. Return. Wow. So it's a, f- I mean, they make about $600 million a year. And I want to say that they have 800, 800 to 900 on tangible, tangible capital. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of it is, you know, uh, is goodwill. Mm. And, you know, so it, it's a, I, I should say that is uh, current assets minus current liabilities. So it's net working capital. Is That's including, including cash. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they have a lot of current assets that are um, inventory and things like that, mm. which make up for it. But net, their working capital uh you know, which is how we we do the Joel Greenblatt return mm-hmm. on capital formula. It's close to seventy five percent. So it's a it's a in some ways a very light business um, relative to what I expected w- it would be. Yeah. Um, and I think that's largely because they've operated for so long. They they have oh interesting. They've built up a lot of um, intellectual property and things like that. Like if you and I were going in to try and. Uh, compete with them and build transmissions <clears throat> we're not going to do it for 800 million dollars mm-hmm. right and so they're in the, in some ways it's going to be really hard to beat beat them at their own game mm-hmm. um, yeah. for sure okay um let's move on to the next question um so the previous question was very interesting that it's more like a is not as capital intensive as that as I expected, as you expected. Yep. So moving on to the next question, which is, does the company have favorable relationships with the following? Customers, suppliers, employees, regulators, or community? Yeah, so I, there were no red flags. Um, their customer base is, uh, is you know, like I said before, like companies like Ford and Daimler and, you know, that that means that they have to um appease them mm-hmm. you know and f- their top five customers account for 50 percent of their revenue so mm-hmm. uh i, I want to say daimler was their largest and then i don't know how to pronounce this Picar, p-a-c-c-a-r was their second 
and Daimler was like 18%. And Daimler has a lot of heavy trucking equipment and mm. stuff like that. Um, and so that means that the, many of their, you know, you know, they have to maintain good relationships. Now, mm-hmm. that being said, I think it's hard for companies to switch mm-hmm. to different tra- transmissions. It would be expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as we've seen, the car industry is pretty low margin. Mm-hmm. So switching is not going to happen without a really good reason, right? And I, I think that means that also um, Allison can't just jack up the price, but they're, they want to maintain good relationships with um, their customers. Mm-hmm. So I don't see any problems there. Suppliers, the same thing. I mean, they're basically getting commodity, you know, aluminum, steel, etc. Material, Materials yeah. are, are are not a problem, mm-hmm. uh, and they can go elsewhere if if anything comes up. Um, their employees are unionized, um, and they have and they've said in thirty years they haven't had a single strike or you know problem with That's union good. labor. And they're based in Indiana, correct? Uh, yeah. Indiana. Um, and have been there their entire time, mm, so for a hundred years. So I imagine pretty local, very yeah. loyal kind of uh, community support. Correct. Yeah, um, and their last collective bargaining agreement, or their current collective bargaining agreement, goes through twenty twenty three. So they still have four years of yeah. under that. So I don't expect any disruption in you know in the, the labor work, participation. In the labor, yeah, yeah, and regulators, anything around there. No, I don't. I didn't see anything. They didn't yeah. mention it. Yeah. Um, and you know, they. I you know, just a. Yeah, I I, I didn't see anything there. At, um, yeah, Daimler was eighteen percent. Packard was ten percent, mm-hmm. and they those three others accounted for forty uh, collectively accounted for forty nine percent of their business. Mm-hmm. So there is a heavy concentration because they're not selling direct to uh, consumers. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Um, I think we're going to stop there for this episode and then we'll pick up financial management valuation in the next episode. Yep. Um, do you have any additional comments you want to make before we close this one out? Uh, no, I think, uh, you know, just uh, about the Apple podcast, if you want to help us out. Yeah. Please, uh, give us five star rating on Apple podcast. I think that would help us out quite a bit. Um, we are trying to get our, ourselves out there, help people out. Um, uh, so any sort of um, outreach effort, uh, any sort of effort to get our get ourselves out there would be helpful. And one of the ways we can do that is by getting your input on Apple Apple Podcast uh, rating system. Okay, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.